We're back again with a new episode, but before we dive in, we'd like to announce our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Mercury International. Mercury International is a company based here in Freetown, Sierra Leone, but its presence is felt both nationally and internationally. You may know Mercury as the lotto company, but they are far more than that. Mercury International offers services such as sports betting, and they have a radio station. Additionally, they have embarked on philanthropic projects. Recently, they raised and donated 300 million leones, which is $30,000, to the Survivors Solidarity Fund, co-chaired by the journalist Aisha Sisse, actor Idris Elba, and media personality here in Freetown, Asma James. These funds are being used to fund treatment centers and organizations that work in sexual and gender-based violence to provide pro bono services to sexual assault victims and survivors here in Sierra Leone. For more information on the work Mercury International does, you can contact them at plus 232 3090590 or email them at info at betamercury.com or visit their website at All Alright, hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye! Bye. Hello, this is Yasmin Mesh Johnson. And this is Yasmin Blocks Around. We are Wise Square Pod. Pod. Welcome back to the podcast. We are back with another episode, and this is a conversation with Martin, Martin Michael. Michael. Woo! So, Martin is a fellow Twitter menace, such as myself, so it's always great to have someone from the timeline for once. Um, he's a lawyer and a businessman in Sierra Leone. Uh, his name is synonymous with Mercury International, which is a, a lotto system here in Sierra Leone and one of the leading ones. And uh, we'll let Martin tell him more about himself. Uh, thank you very much. Um, good to be on this uh, podcast. Um, I've always wondered what podcasts are about, so it's good to be here. Um, <laughs> I usually listen to the Tottenham one, though lately I don't because it's not very good news. Anyway, um, yeah, so my name is Martin Michael. I'm a lawyer. I'm also the CEO of Mercury International. Uh, born in Freetown, grew up in Bo. Um, what else can I say? <laughs> I guess as the conversation goes on, you'll find out a little bit more. Yeah. And yes, I do love my Twitter. <laughs> I used to have two accounts, by the way. Oh, okay. Yes, I had one for purely for football, which was Freetown Spurs. Oh. But that got closed down by Twitter because maybe I abused the players too much. <laughs> and um, then I had my serious Twitter, which is the one that I use at the moment, Memlaw. Okay. But I'm also using it now for a little bit of football. But I mind what I say. But yes, I do like Twitter. It's a, it's a great forum. It's a great place to be. I agree. I mean, that's actually how Yasmin and I met. We went on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yes, yeah. in uh, early 2018. And uh, I can't slam Twitter too much. Most of the time, everyone who listens to us knows that I'm the Instagram person and Yasmin's the Twitter one. But then I have to remember that's where we met. That's the platform we met. So yeah. I can't slam it too much. <laughs> no, but it's, it's great the way that um, Sierra Leone Twitter has developed. Absolutely. It really has. I mean, when I first went on Twitter with my other account, which was the Freetown Spurs account, mm-hmm. um, there weren't really that many people. And it was mostly an issue of meeting up with, uh, with fellow Tottenham fans. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, since we moved on to, um, you know, since I set up the other account, which I now use regularly, mm-hmm. and I tweet a lot about what's happening in Sierra Leone, though most of it is satirical, really, mm-hmm. um, I, I've discovered that there's this, it's, such a, it's got such a wide variety of... Um, people within Sierra Leone who are on Twitter. So it's good. It's, it's really developed into a nice forum, you know. Mm. And um, I, I like the, the way sort of, you know, you can um, 
it becomes a little bit of a comedy as well, you know, a little bit of satire. You've got some great people on it. I mean, one of my favorite people on Twitter is Sheka Fona. <laughs> he, he's just so funny, you know, and he's not afraid to, to, to really let out the satire in himself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good. It gets misunderstood at certain times, you know, Absolutely. we tweet certain times. People misunderstand it, they can't tell. Because we're so politically motivated or everything we do is seen from the eyes of politics in this country rather than from looking at it purely from a comedy point of view or whatever, mm. people misunderstand your tweets and they screenshot it and send Absolutely. it all over yeah. WhatsApp. Yeah. I know you were complaining about that the other yeah, day. Yeah, always. And, um, I feel like if you're not on the platform, then you won't even understand a lot of the things. Exactly. That's the thing. Tweet as opposed to the thread because they're not going to read everything, to be honest. Mm. And they're like, oh, now so and so say this. It's like, no, yeah. it's in context. Exactly. It's and like, in satire as well. So. It's like there are a couple of weeks ago, I went out for a drive with the kids, having not been out for quite a while. And I put a tweet out about... Um, the amount of people that were on the beach and so on and then I put now I know that COVID is fake hey. and I was being very very satirical Sorry. and sarcastic and it was screenshots everywhere you know and people are saying <laughs> he has hidden agenda he has this he has that <laughs> I, mean, come I actually on. saw your tweet <laughs> about hidden um, agenda. Hidden agenda being the new favorite the word. It doesn't matter what you say in Sierra Leone anymore. <laughs> you have hidden agenda. I mean, what hidden agenda? You know, and, um, and some people got so worked up by that tweet. Mm -hmm. And I even had a doctor bless him. Though later he apologized because he realized I was being sarcastic. Right. Saying, you know, you can't be serious. I deal with these people every day. Mm -hmm. And I said, and then some uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, followers on Twitter actually said, come on, Doc, you know he's being sarcastic. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and it was sent all over the place. He has hidden agenda. He has this, he has that. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, what is wrong with people? You know, mm. get a life for God's sake. I'm telling you. So that, that's one of the dangers of Twitter, really. But mm. if you worry about that, you won't tweet. So just forget it and do what... That's true. Absolutely. That was actually one of my questions for you. I was going to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on the rising digital age, and how do you think, um, well, how do you think Sierra Leoneans can best use platforms like Twitter, WhatsApp, just d having a digital presence? Like, how do you think they can best use it, especially to like um, inform people about like laws that are too complex for like the lay person, mm. or to promote your business. Well, interestingly, the reason we became, Mercury became so successful is because of the digital platform that we introduced. Okay. Prior to Mercury coming into, um, into the business, the, the lottery was done purely on um, manually. So they had these manual tickets and you would fill in your numbers and you'd give it to, to the state lottery. What we did was we got rid of all of that. We brought in online machines. We brought in those red boxes mm -hmm. that are connected by GPRS to our system. It was instant. You were paid instantly. Whereas with the previous manual system, you would wait three or four days for each ticket to be manually processed. Mm -hmm. So we, did, we changed that completely. And we brought in a full-on digital uh, uh, electronic uh, process. So you play, you get your ticket immediately. As soon as the draw is done, within five minutes, you can go and collect your winnings. And we did that both for the sports betting, because we're not only lottery, we're sports betting and lottery. Mm -hmm. So we, we revolutionized the way um, the lottery and sports betting was being done in this country. Okay. And that's why, you know, that's why we became so successful. And of course, we've, we've now improved on that system. Mm -hmm. And we've um, also got the online. But using technology, one of the things we also did was to work with the mobile companies. And we 
now they talk about the DSTI um, 468 service with Africel. Mm -hmm. We introduced the, nine, the 590 service before they introduced the 468. And the 590 service is exactly almost the same as that. You go 590 and it gives you a list of uh, a menu of things that you can take a look at, which deals with our products. Okay. And, we, and we, we did it in such a way that we actually update instead of Africel having to do our updates. So it's done directly from our office. And of course, with that comes use of internet, you know, websites, and then you get the, um, you know, the, the, the WhatsApp and the um, Twitter and Instagram, and we're on all of those forums. Well, what we found really in Sierra Leone, what really, of course, we have our own radio station as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people listen to radio. You, you cannot believe how many people listen to radio in this country. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we've discovered is that WhatsApp is the killer. That's what really people are concentrating on. You know, if you really want to get your information out quickly, it's WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. You know, and we all our staff belong to so many different forums that whenever we want to send out any videos or anything, you distribute it to them. Before you know what's happening, people are calling you from Australia and they're calling you from America and places like that. We're now getting onto the Twitter okay. uh, media. We have a presence there as well. We're on Instagram, and uh, I think we're on Facebook. Facebook is also quite popular, mm -hmm. you know, and um, so technology helps send your message. But the most important thing is it sends it instantly. Right. You know, with the old news media print, you had to wait 24 hours for the newspapers to be printed. And then if you don't buy it, you don't get it. Yeah. With this one, you only need your phone and an internet connection. So it's the, it's the, the companies to get out that instant message, the immediate message. This is what's so good about social media. Mm. And this is what we're working on. We're not very good at it at the moment, I must admit. I think the best ones that I can tell you so far of the companies, I think um, IPC with Instagram are very good. Mm -hmm. Africel with Instagram are also very, very good. Mm -hmm. um, they get their messages out there quite well. Um, we're, we're working on it, we're getting there. You know, it's, it's hard to... to you have to keep retraining and retraining your staff. It takes time because I feel like a lot of CRNs don't actually know the power of social media. Mm. Absolutely. So a lot of people still just use it like very trivial, That's in it. a trivial manner, not knowing that it's a very powerful tool. It is. It's very, very powerful because it's instantaneous. You know, the message comes out there immediately. So if I wanted to send a message to the nation, I just tweet and it's going to get retweeted so long as it's an interesting one right. it's not so much about how many followers you have it's about how many retweets you get mm -hmm. impact, and of yeah. course how many times they screenshot it and put it on whatsapp <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> you know? but yeah so it's it's a very very important tool and i think everybody needs to embrace it everybody needs to embrace it mm -hmm. absolutely and i see a lot of companies nowadays are doing that a lot within sierra leone Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's good, a great way to get the Finally. message out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yes. yeah. So you mentioned that you lived in Bo. Um, tell us your experience um, just living in Bo, living in the UK, and now being back in Sierra Leone. Well, of course, um, I lived in Bo up to the age of 11, mm -hmm. and then I went to school in the UK. But I used to come back for summer holidays and Christmas holidays. Uh, Bo was a very special place, you know, in those days. It wasn't as crowded as it is today. You know, you go to Bo now, it's very, very crowded. I guess that comes with um, urbanization and it comes with uh, um, development and increase in population. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be called Sweet Bo, mm -hmm. 
and everybody from around the country when they wanted to have a really good nice weekend they used to go to Bo. <laughs> so it was good it was it was a very very easy place to live and to grow up i recall you know that everybody's schedule was so simple you know get up in the morning open your shop do your business have your lunch at one o'clock four o'clock everybody shut their business down Four thirty, we all meet up at the club at the ball club who's playing tennis who's playing football who's playing darts who's playing snooker having a drink and that was every single day every single day you know and i i compare that to what we face now in freetown and you know on 4:30 you're in in freetown your day is just beginning mm-hmm. you know people are having to leave their offices at 7 8 and you get stuck in traffic and it takes you an hour and a half to get home in those days from our house to the club we never even used to drive we would walk it takes you 5 minutes through the back roads very safe no harm people were not worried about any of those things so it was a very easy life it was a very very easy life and we still talk about it up till today yeah. the war ruined all of that it changed all of it especially when the war got to bomb mm-hmm. in 94 um it changed everything people started moving out a lot of us who grew up in bo don't live there anymore um you know we've moved out some have left the country some of us live here you know and I'm talking about both our Lebanese friends and Sierra Leonean friends mm-hmm. that we went to school with or that we grew up with or we used to meet and play tennis and golf I mean tennis and football mm-hmm. um so living in Bo in those days was fantastic you know yeah, but obviously I also spent a lot of my time in the UK mostly at boarding school except uh, then I went to Manchester University 1989 to 92 and um boarding school was an experience it taught me a lot of things it taught me how to be self um you know how to take care of myself mm-hmm. to sustain myself mm-hmm. um you know and, and and but one of the things boarding school does do is it takes away your emotions mm-hmm. and yes, how long were you in boarding school i was in boarding school for 9 years okay. so it takes long. away a lot of your emotions mm-hmm. no 8 years sorry it takes away a lot of it you know because you were away from your parents and in those days when i was in boarding school We didn't have internet. There was no such thing as internet. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no such thing as uh, WhatsApp or Skype, so you couldn't call your But parents. But you write letters to each other. You, the postal system in Sierra Leone in those days, it would take you three months for your letter to get here. I, mean, I, used, to, let alone, I yeah. used to write letters, and then I would come back to Freetown before the letter was <laughs> You know. So if you knew that would take that long, you would have just come. I just come with the letter exactly. <laughs> I mean, I recall once writing to to my parents. Somebody I think had died, and I wrote a letter to my parents, um, asking them to go sympathize. Okay. And the letter arrived like two weeks after I had arrived, and I had already gone. And I was saying, and the, I said to the people, I asked my dad to come and sympathize. Oh, we didn't. He, I think my dad didn't receive the letter. Obviously oh, not, because it arrived two weeks later. So you didn't have it. The mobile, the phone system wasn't very good either. Okay. Remember, in those days, you had to put in a call through. Set, they called them slets in those days, mm-hmm. where you would book a call, and then slet would do the call for you when they had the time or when the line was open, mm-hmm. and then they would call you and then connect you. Oh. Wow! So even telephone calls were almost impossible oh. in those days. Mm-hmm. So there you were in boarding school. You could go a month or two without hearing from your parents. You had no clue what was happening with them. or where they were or what had happened none at all you understand so you learn therefore not to feel and just to be strong about everything and how to you know and and, and that was one of the that was well, an issue with boarding school in those days i know it's changed now okay. you know now it's a lot easier because they allow you to talk to your parents all the time you can whatsapp them and skype them and all the rest of it so boarding school really defined my life okay it really made me 
probably what I am today. Mm-hmm. And I know my my wife and children always complain that I have no emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I was you just know. about to ask you, how do you overcome that? So you were aware of that, like boarding school did mm. that to you, but how do you overcome that? It's very difficult. Yeah. You know, when, when, whatever defines your life between the ages of 11 to 20, it's very, very difficult to mm. change after that, you yeah. know? And um, I think that basically was the, was the main issue that I had. And, um, you know, but what in school other than that probably made me what I am today in terms of um, the way I look at things, the way I do things. It also helps you to understand when to relax, you know, when to, to say enough is enough. I'm not doing any more work. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to take some time off. Because what they did at boarding school was all of the work that we did, all of the studies, we, they also made sure we had time for sports, for relaxation. For, for movies, mm-hmm. you know, when to, to have your breakfast, lunch, dinner, and all the rest of it. And that stays with you. So mm-hmm. okay. one of the things is when I come home, usually when I used to go to the office, the minute I come home, I'm tuned off from work completely. Some people bring their work home with them. I don't. I have never brought my work home with me. Wow. Obviously, except now that I have to work from the house because of Corona. Right, but corona. Um, I never bring my work home. So if I have to finish work, I'll finish it in the office. Otherwise, I won't come home with files upon files. I'm not one of those people that takes a selfie of themselves at three o'clock in the morning working. No. <laughs> people do that. Yeah. No, stop yeah. it. Hustle Twitter yeah. or yes, yeah. entrepreneur oh, Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I don't. When I come home, that's it. And okay, Saturday yeah. and Sunday, you would never catch me doing anything. That's work. a good discipline to have. No, you won't catch. It's probably just laziness, really. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so... You know, that, that was that defined the way I, 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 I do things and I looked at myself. And then obviously, I came back to Sierra Leone after my dad passed away in 94. Okay. And I, I did the law school here, and it was a free time, it was a completely different experience. Mm. And of course, with the AFRC issue of 97, where we had to run away again, and then mm-hmm. we came back. Free time changed, has changed over the years, you know. Um, I, I, I really can't say whether it's for, for the good, for the worse, for the, I really don't know. Mm. I really don't know. I mean, it's, it's probably, I don't know, it's difficult to say. It's very mm. difficult, you know. I, I don't, it's hard to, to make a comment like this because everybody lives in different social groups, right. you know, and some in social groups will find Freetown a lot more difficult. Some may find that it's got easier. It will be very sort of um, patronizing of me to start saying, oh, you know, I'm, I find Freetown beautiful, or I find Sorry. Freetown, well, not beautiful, I mean, I find, it is a beautiful city, obviously, but I find um, it easier to live here now. Right. And people say, oh, now because you don't get money, or because you're not Mercury CEO. Right. So it's very, very hard, you know, to say. Obviously, I think we have much better, I mean, technologically, as you were talking about earlier, we've improved a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we have all the mobile phones. I don't think anybody uses land phones. You've got the internet, you've got all this social media. Mm-hmm. You can get in touch with people easier. Mm-hmm. The roads are much better, mm-hmm. you know, even to go up country now. I remember in, in those days, we, from here to go used to take five, six hours. Mm-hmm. Now you can do it in two hours, 45 minutes, you know, steps. Yes, the roads were terrible. Wow. You would, you would, there would not be a single portion of road between Freetown and Boda was good. You would mm-hmm. spend the entire trip dodging potholes you know so so i guess i guess it's it's it is improving it is improving but again people want to start comparing to the 70s and 80s i don't think you can do that we can't do that we just have to look forward you know so yeah i mean every 
city that I've lived in mm. and every place that I've lived in has sort of shaped what I have done, you know. I, I think Bo developed my love for sports, you know, oh. developed a love for football, um, friends. Um, boarding school was just the discipline side of it. Mm -hmm. And I think Freetown made me just define that you had to work really hard to survive in the city. Mm -hmm. It's not a simple city to survive in. You it's know, not easy. It's not easy. And as a young lawyer, it was very, very difficult as well. Mm. You know, people used to say to me, oh, you're going to make lots of money, you're going to get all the Lebanese clients. It had the opposite effect. Lebanese clients refused to come to you simply because they think that you're not going to get judgment in court because the judges don't like the Lebanese. Oh. So they preferred to go to, to, to a lawyer that was not perceived to be Lebanese. So it had the opposite effect. Yeah, they would come to you and they would pay you a small retainer and so on. But when it came to their critical cases, they wouldn't come to you. And people didn't realize that when I said to them, no, they don't come to me because they think a Lebanese man or a Lebanese, somebody who's supposed, who's perceived to be a Lebanese lawyer, even though I don't even speak Arabic, but I'm of Lebanese origin and I'm very proud of it, mm -hmm. would not win a case in front of a Sierra Leonean judge. So they would prefer to take their cases and be represented by a Sierra Leonean. They have that complex that a Lebanese cannot be represented by somebody of Lebanese origin. So I didn't get cases because of that. You understand? And um, so it, it, it sort of, you sort of realize now that it was, it's, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy profession. And a lot of the young lawyers now are probably suffering from, from the fact that there are not many cases going to court. And they're not getting many briefs. You know, it sounds it's a very um, privileged profession, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it's a profitable one anymore. I really uh, don't. Mm. How really. long did you practice law for? So I qualified from Sierra Leone Law School in '96, and um, same year actually as um, the former AG Priscilla Schwartz, she was my classmate, mm -hmm. okay. and the um, um, head of the uh, political parties commission. Bangura was also my classmate. Okay. Um, so we qualified. Musu Kamara, who is now Court of Appeal judge, we were all in the same class. And I qualified in 96. Went to do my pupillage with Terence Michael Terry. Um, a lot of um, the older generation will know him as a very flamboyant lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, then the coup happened mm -hmm. of 97. We left. I came back. Terence was not around. So I continued my pupillage um, with Charles Magai. And then 98, I signed permanent register. So I started full practice in 98, and I stopped, really actually stopped around 2010. Okay. So um, in the sense of full-time practice. Mm. Um, I was with Magai until 2002, and then we set up chambers with Abdul Tijankol. So initially we were called A.T. Jankol and Associates. Mm. A year later we changed it to Tijankol, Michael and Associates. And that continued until Tijan Paul became anti-corruption commissioner in 2008. Mm -hmm. So we, decide, um, we decided that we didn't want to be those lawyers who would get appointed to government positions and still maintain their firm. Mm -hmm. So we did not want that conflict at all. Okay. I think we're probably the only company, only firm that has ever done that. So the minute he became Tijan Paul um, commissioner of ACC, we immediately dissolved the firm. And then I set up the firm of Michael and Michael with my wife, uh, Basita. She now runs that firm. Okay. And in 2010, I um, I basically gave up and um, took on took on Mercury. But it was interesting those 12 years. I recall a really funny story. You know, I mean, it was unusual. I mean, we've had a few Lebanese 
lawyers of Lebanese origin like Shaqib Basma and others, you know, but again, things evolve and things change and the perception of people of Lebanese origin changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I recall I was, we came out of court one day, myself and Abdul Tijankul, and we were walking down Shaka Stevens Street, going to our office in Charlotte Street. But for some reason, I, I can't remember why, maybe we'd come from Guma Building, um, the Court of Appeal. We were walking on the side of where Sacred Heart Cathedral is, whereas our office is on Upper Charlotte Street. And uh, as, we, as we were walking past, you know, we're both in full suits, you know, we had our um, everything on, you know, and walking. I think we'd had a good day in the court and we were sort of bouncing along and whatever. And there were these two women standing there. They just came out of church, you know. They had their full church regalia on with everything and they were talking to each other. And then they saw us coming from a distance. And I could hear distinctly the one saying to the other, Hey, Miss Sister. Thing done changing at this country. And the other one goes, Hey, my sister, what happened? He said, Oh, stably, but this man begin wear a suit for go sell tomatoes. Oh. <laughs> 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 and we, we teach and cultures died laughing and he tells everybody that story <laughs> and now he, he calls me tamati seller and everybody on a i'm only on one sort of um group called sierra leone news okay. and um everybody there refers to me sometimes now as the tamati seller <laughs> and that name has stuck and this was probably almost 13 years ago you know, probably almost 13 years ago, and it stuck, and um, it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, and, I, and that story just kills everyone every time I say it. And, and I just, we, I, it was like, you know, you were walking down the street, and you know, oh man, look how caught Bungo small, you know, with the suit and everything. And the next thing, you're just so deflated, you know. <laughs> but it, but it, in a good way, you know, it was hilarious, you know, and um, I didn't say anything, Abdul didn't say anything, we just cracked up. I, I think um, my clerk, who was behind us, heard it. He cracked up. Mm. And then as he walked past, I think he just said to her, you don't know say a lawyer than that day. Mm. And just like that, you know, just for the sake of it. Right. And then I recall one day I was walking down Charlotte Street. And that time Emerson had just released um, the song Bobo Belé. Oh, okay. And I was a lot bigger than I am now, you know. You won't believe it, but I'm now 111 kilo. In those days I was 127. Oh. And I'm walking down, Chaka Stevie, um, down Charlotte Street from Garrison Street, mm -hmm. and these boys who sit by where there's taxis park in Charlotte Street, they started singing Bobo Bella. <laughs> 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 oh God, I have a sin, I hate you. <laughs> you have uh, the names. <laughs> and um, I, actually, I, I think he's, he's a genius, but anyway. So, you know, and um, <laughs> I just... It was so funny, I just cracked up again, you know, and these guys were all... And it was obvious they were singing it towards me, you know, because <laughs> I was wearing a suit, maybe with a big stomach and all the rest of it. And again, my clerk ran over to them and said, and I said, Fofa, now that was the name of my clerk. I said, leave them. I mean, we, we're not going to... It's like with Twitter right. or social media. You're not going to fight with everybody <laughs> that makes a comment, you know. You just have to take it in good faith. That's true. And I think, and this is the interesting thing, I think what we used to experience in life before social media is now the same thing we were experiencing with social media. Yeah. So it's transformed. So that daily interaction you had with people, where people would make really satirical, funny comments at you, you understand? That doesn't happen anymore. 
I find out now it's all gone onto Twitter or WhatsApp or Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. So all disguised under the name of banter. Banter. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. So th- this is this is the great thing that's happened. Well, I don't know if it's great, but this is what's happened. You know, that social interaction we had with each other has now moved on to social media. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, the thing is, in those days, when somebody made a comment about you, you can only tell the story. You can't snapshot it and put it all over other That's media. True. Whereas with today, you can, you know. Now you have so, receipts. So now receipts, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so wider audience. So yeah, so practicing law was, was okay, was fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I recall a particular case where we weren't in the case, but we were sitting there, and this judge was giving a judgment against a lawyer. I won't call the lawyer's name now because he's still in practice. Mm. But lawyers who practiced in those days would know this story. So this lawyer was notorious for losing his temper. He was a little bit of a madman. You know, he would always lose his temper. So this judge was giving judgment in a case he was involved in. And (laughs) the way the judgment... Well, we were all sitting there. And the way the judgment was going, it was obvious this particular lawyer was going to lose that case. In the middle of the judgment... Out of nowhere, the lawyer got up and started shouting at the judge, this is rubbish, stop your judgment immediately, I won't accept this. <laughs> and it was hilarious, we were all just cracking up, you know, how can you do that? And normally a judge would probably send him down for contempt, but the judge knew he was a little bit of a nutter, so he just let him go. Yeah, so we, we, we've had some really funny experiences, you know, in this profession. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's good. And what kind of law did you practice? Oh, you can't specialize in Sierra Leone. It's jack of all trades, master <laughs> of none. If you specialize in Sierra Leone, you're going to go broke completely. Oh, okay. So one minute you'll be in the magistrate courts defending somebody in what they usually refer to as Mamiko's case. <laughs> and the next minute you'll be in the high court doing a uh, land matter. And the next minute you could be in the court of appeal arguing a contract case oh. or whatever. You can't specialize in Sierra Leone. There have been people who've made a lot of money just by concentrating on the magistrate courts. Oh, okay. Because it's quick cash. You don't need to do a lot of work for it. Mm-hmm. You can just go take your brief and they pay you on a daily basis. Okay. So there have been people who've made a lot of money concentrating purely on magistrate courts. Okay. You know, but um, if you say you're going to specialize, and there are some people, some firms who would only do civil matters, they won't do criminal matters. But your average day-by-day lawyer has to possibly get involved in everything. You can't specialize. It's not. It's not. Not in Sierra Leone. No, not in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Not in Sierra Leone. No. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Now I was just going to ask: Do you miss practicing, or do you just no. feel like you've had the time? <laughs> no. Oh, no. I do not miss practicing uh. at all. Is <laughs> that been all. there, done that? <laughs> I am. Not, I don't miss it. I don't miss the law courts building. I don't miss mm. anything about the law. Wow. I love discussing it on Twitter or mm. with friends. But having to do it professionally again, I'm still a partner with my wife in the firm, but mm-hmm. she still asks my advice and opinion on certain things, okay. but I do not want that. You keep it at a distance. At a distance, at arm's length, as they Healthy say. distance. Okay. And I will not go to court again, and I will not have anything to do with the law courts building. Never. Okay. Never. Unless somebody takes me to court, obviously. Right. But as a lawyer, no, I won't. I'm done with that. Okay. I, 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 towards the end I didn't enjoy it and the stories oh. I'm hearing now mm-hmm. and the things I'm seeing it's not fun it sounds exhausting it's not Very fun it's, it, it's exhausting 
everything in life is exhausting when they make it difficult for you. Yes. You understand? It's like, you know, it's like when you're playing tennis or football, if you're losing to the other side and they're better than you, you get more tired than the guy that's winning. Mm -hmm. And that's the, um, and that's the same thing with, um, that's the same thing with the law practice. If you're always getting bad rulings, bad decisions, and you're always getting hit in all directions, you get tired. Mm. Yeah. And so, no, I don't. I won't. I, I don't miss it, and I won't go back to it. Okay. Um, earlier, you mentioned um, some of the setbacks being like um, uh, a Sierra Leonean, though, of Lebanese descent, um, working in um, the law landscape in Sierra Leone. How do you think um, your identity may have um, created any setbacks in like the philanthropy that you do in Sierra Leone, uh, sports, and your approach to business? Um, I think, I, to be honest with you, the, the issue of the, you know, of the Lebanese origin and being a setback was really very early in my career. Okay. But I think as people begin to realize that you have more association with this Sierra Leone than you do with Lebanon, mm -hmm. and, um, and you, 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 know, you really identify yourself more with Sierra Leone than you do with Lebanon, people's perception changed. And you know, the Michaels from Bo have always been regarded as Sierra Leoneans or mistakenly Irish. We've never really been regarded. When in Bo, we were never referred to as Lebanese. Okay. This issue of Lebanese, I only experienced in Freetown. In, Freetown. in Bo, I never experienced that. Nobody would even talk about you being of Lebanese or Lebanese origin. Conversation never arose. It was only in Freetown that I that I experienced it. Mm. And um, well, that was earlier on, but people soon realized, you know. But even at that, you still have the odd you know, comments here and there, and you still, people still accuse you, you know, but I think generally those accusations are not related purely because of my Lebanese origin. I think people in this country, some people in this country have problems with people who are successful and generous at the same time. You know, there must be something funny. You must be doing this because you're, you're corrupt or you're a crook or whatever. We can't accept at times that some people just, you know, are genuine businessmen and they are genuinely, you know, they just genuinely think it's good, it's a good thing to do good, mm -hmm. you know. But yes, sometimes you do get looked at in a funny way because of the color of um, the skin. You would always re be referred to by some as foreigners. And, but in general, I don't think we experience that anymore. Okay. Not much, not much, not as much as before. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always convinced that the, the, the problem we have with... Um, discrimination in Sierra Leone doesn't come from the man on the streets. It's something that's generated by the elite mm -hmm. and the educated and they do that to keep the poor suppressed. Because we can, it's always easier to blame a foreigner than to blame themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's always good to you, it's always easy to use the excuse that if we give citizenship to these Lebanese people, they're going to take over our politics. Mm -hmm. You know, so they use it as an incitement to keep themselves where they are. Um, I, I don't believe that walking down the street, this man on the street is a racist or he discriminates in any way whatsoever. I think this is all fueled by the elites, to be honest with you. And that's the only way to keep themselves in the positions that they are. The positions of power, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, I, nowadays, I think a lot, of, um, a lot of people probably do realize you know, that we're more associated with here than over there. But you still experience it. I mean, every time my wife makes a comment on social media that one or two people don't like, the accusation immediately comes out, oh, she's Lebanese. We can't have Lebanese people making comments like this. We can't, yeah, as if to say, you know, 
you I don't even know what that means, but right. it still happens, but not as much as I used to experience it. But again, probably because nowadays I keep so much to myself okay. and I have done for the last few years mm -hmm. and I don't really as mix or associate or whatever. So maybe that's why I'm not hearing as much of it anymore. Uh, okay. But yeah, yeah, it's, 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 um, I know some people think it's a setback to them, but I would hate to think that, um, people get, um, people find the difficulties because of that. Sometimes it's on some other issues, you know. Yeah. Identity put aside, what other challenges do you find um, doing business in Sierra Well, um, <laughs> I think a lot of the, a lot of the challenges are being sort of systematically taken care of. Mm. I mean, we used to have a lot of issues with electricity. Electricity is very expensive. Mm -hmm. It's still very expensive in Sierra Leone, but I can understand why. Um, but it's better we have the electricity than we have to use generators mm. because that's twice as expensive. So that's been taken care of. Technology from when we first opened Mercury to now has improved greatly. Mm -hmm. The GPR system, which gives live connection of our boxes directly to our server, used to be a problem in those early days. They used to go for days upon days, mm. but that's been improved drastically. Now we, I can't remember the last time, touch wood, that the system went down because GPRS went off. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember the last time. And we've improved the technology now from GPS to 3G. Okay. So even if from GPRS to 3G, so even if the GPRS is not working, the normal um, 3G or 4G on the phone connects. Okay. So that's improved. Um, the banking system has improved greatly. It used to be a problem because we used to collect everything in cash and then the banks would give us, you know, having to, to bank all of those monies. But in the last couple of years, we developed a system with every, almost all the banks where the retailers pay directly to the bank. So we don't collect cash anymore in our office okay. at all. We cashless mm. completely. All our payments that we do out are done in by checks or bank transfer. Okay. So all our suppliers, so we're completely cashless. The only time we use cash is to pay winners. And that's only from one location and it's very minimal because every single retailer can pay winner. Okay. So if you win, you don't have to come to our office. You can go to any red box, give them your ticket, they scan it and they pay you. Mm -hmm. So that's improved. So we have a system with the banks whereby as soon as the money is paid by a retailer into the account, that notification comes to us immediately and then we can put it into the retailer's personal account so we know whether he's paying what is due. So that's improved greatly. You know, you know, transportation is improved greatly. Obviously, there is still a lot of bureaucracy involved in a lot of things that we do. And I think that's one of the areas that they need to, to, to try and cut down on, which is bureaucracy in filing documents at NRA and all the rest of it. But I think NRA also digitalizing. So that would be a great help. You know, so um, the infrastructure was always a problem, but that's improved greatly over the years. You know, um, the biggest problem is that we have to pay our suppliers in dollars because there are certain things that we have to bring in from abroad that we can't get here. Okay. They can't be, even if they can be got here, you have to bring them in. So the TPMs use these thermal paper rolls. These are only produced in China. So we have to pay those in dollars. Sometimes getting dollars is difficult and the rate of the dollar is like a yo-yo. Yeah. I'm hearing it's even got worse again today, but I'm not sure how, how true oh. that is. Um, so supplies having to pay for these things and because we earn leons the earning doesn't um, fluctuate right. with the dollars mm -hmm. 
So we could be earning the same amount of money, but our expenses have gone up because we have to pay more loans to buy dollars than we did the previous month. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest issues, really. It's the fluctuation of the loan. Mm -hmm. And we have to pay for paper roll, which we have to bring from abroad. These new TPMs, every time we bring some, we have to pay for those in dollars abroad. And obviously, the, the, the football betting games and odds and the online are not generated by us here. We don't have that capacity. And we can't do it because of international uh, best practice. They have to be done by independent companies. Otherwise, we would, if you were allowed to do it yourself, you could just cheat on the odds. So we have to get an internationally recognized company that's called BetRadar, who do all of those odds supplied to our suppliers, our service providers, who then give it to us. You have to pay for that service, and you have to pay for it in dollars. So the biggest problem really is just trying to get dollars to pay your suppliers. Okay. And at the same time, the fluctuation of the Leon. Other than that, you know, the, 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 the actual uh, doing business for us has improved dramatically. But of course, doing business also depends on the earning capacity of other people. Mm. You understand? Because they have to buy your tickets, they have to buy your products, and they have to do this and they have to do that. So in terms of, um, in terms of that, that I guess is just... That's the, that, that is beyond our control. Mm -hmm. But what, it, what we can control and what we need, we've seen great, great improvement over the years. Okay. Great, the speed of the internet may not be the very best, but it's still good, it's still up there. Um, acquiring the radio license, once they knew what it was for, was not a problem, you know. Um, and we find now that we can get our messages out there quite, quite quickly and quite easily. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's, it's improved for us. Mm -hmm. Others may disagree, but for us, we... we all the infrastructure we require is there. Okay, let's go. So we're taking a quick break. We would like to remind you that this episode is sponsored by Mercury International. Did you know Mercury is lending its support to the government and the people of Sierra Leone in the fight against COVID? Additionally, they are also dedicated to education as demonstrated by the secondary school they are building in Potoloko. For more information, you can visit their website at betamercury.com, email them at info at betamercury.com, or contact them at plus 232 to check out the amazing work they're doing here in Sierra Leone. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, from being a lawyer, like working in the 9 to 5 dynamic, and now like being your own boss, running your business, being an entrepreneur, what would, you, what would be three tips you'd give to other people that want to make that transition in life? Oh, it's, um, okay, I've always been an advocate that it's, it's easier, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a lawyer. I, I was more interested in, in being a sports journalist. Oh. And my father convinced me to do law, saying that you need, a, you need a base. From there, you can expand to anything that you want to. So I did the law, and it's always there. And even if I, don't, even if I have said earlier I don't want to go back to it, if I have to, at least it's there for me to go back to. From there, you can expand and do other things. You understand so it's difficult to 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 give advice or to tell people three things that they should do and i don't want to sound like everybody else that says mm -hmm. you know just the normal um you know the normal things like you know you have to for me it's feeling you have to have the feeling for what you do and what you want to do mm -hmm. if you don't have that feeling if you don't if you don't think you can go beyond the profession that you have don't attempt it because you will fail drastically you understand if you may want to because you may think it's financially rewarding 
But if you don't have that feeling for it, if you know you're not going to like it, go with your first instinct. Always go with your first instinct. Second thing, and this again goes against the norm. A lot of people are optimistic about going into new businesses and everything. I never ever go into it with optimism. I always go into it with pessimism. Simple reason is that when you expect failure and you get success, for me, it's, no, let me rephrase that. They always say, you know, it's better to fail trying than not to try and whatever. Mm -hmm. No, the reason I go in with it, with pessimism, is because that pessimism allows me to highlight everything that I think could go wrong. If you're optimistic, you're only looking at the good side of it. Mm -hmm. If you're pessimistic, you look at the bad side. You look at what could go wrong. If I know what's going to go wrong or what could go wrong before I go into a project, it makes it easier for me to handle that project. So my partners at Mercury are all optimistic, but I'm pessimistic. And they always admit that the reason that we've been so successful in Mercury and everything we've been involved in is because of my pessimism. Because I always look at the downside before we go into anything. You understand? And I try to ensure that those... The, I always try to ensure that I work on my reasons for my pessimism before we move into it. So as much as you can be optimistic, try and be a little bit more pessimistic as well so you can highlight the areas of concern and why you're pessimistic about the, about the project. That's, the, that's probably another thing. The third thing is you have to be able to, to delegate, you know. Um, I know that's a common phrase, or delegate, and, but I don't believe in total delegation. I believe in delegating, I believe in people doing what they're supposed to be doing, but I also believe that before you take your final action, you need to cross-check with me. So it's not so much delegating and giving them full freedom. Because that trust of them being doing the right thing has to be built. Mm -hmm. It can't be immediate. Mm -hmm. You know, I know in business, well, what makes a good manager is delegating and allowing people to do things. Yes, a lot of what happens at Mercury now, I don't even get involved on a day-to-day -day basis at all. However, decisions, final decisions are only made after I have been briefed. The reason is, at the end of the day, I have the ultimate blame if anything goes wrong. You understand? But at the same time, it's another way of keeping me up to date with what's happening within the company. Mm -hmm. It's also learning about the thought process of your staff. You understand? So these are some of the things, you know, that I, I, I sort of try to... Um, I've tr sort of tried to, to implement in the way I run the business. And, but I think the most important thing in, in any business is you have to give time to everybody. It doesn't matter what rank they are. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're your cleaner. It doesn't matter if they're your finance manager. It doesn't matter if he's a minister that wants to see you or a member of parliament or just a normal guy on the street who needs some help. See everyone, listen to what they say. Or if you can't, have somebody that does that specifically. Make notes of everything that has been told and brief you. And if you can't, just talk to the person, you know. And that, that helps you quite a lot as well. It's very, very important that you, that you make time for people. Mm -hmm. Because arrogance doesn't work at all. It doesn't work. It doesn't. And the, the, my, my late father always used to tell me, he says, in, to, 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 to succeed in Sierra Leone, 
it's not about becoming friends with the elite. It's about becoming friends with the man on the street. Because that is always your first point of contact. So he, the reason he told me this story was because a guy had a problem about maybe that was when my dad was alive, pre-94. And the guy said to my dad, he had a traffic issue and he had insulted the police officer and they took him to court. And the guy said to my dad, oh, I know the inspector general of police, I know that. And my dad was, you know the inspector general of police after you've been charged? He says, yes. First of all, he said to him, the inspector general of police may not even get involved because it's a minor matter. He said, but if, instead of knowing the inspector general of police, you had spent more time knowing the policemen who stand under the hot burning sun controlling traffic, even then, even if you had known him instead of the IG and you had been friendly with all of them and you had been nice to them, maybe when you committed that minor offense, he would have just warned you and waved it off. And this is it, you see, this is the same thing in life. Mm -hmm. It's about knowing the people, it's about knowing the normal common man on the streets, first and foremost, because this is your daily interaction. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many of us get to interact with ministers or, or lawyers or doctors or parliamentarians or ambassadors on a daily basis? None. But every time we move around, we're interacting with people who are, you know, down on the streets, as they say, mm -hmm. the, the common man, for want of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something else that I've learned, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Um, so I think this will be the last question. Um, I just wanted to know, who inspires you? Right, so this is a, this is a weird, this is something that I've always thought about. Um, I think my, apart from my, my, my family members, I think one of the biggest inspiration that I've had has probably been Nelson Mandela. Miss uh, Nelson Mandela Day. Yeah, yes, I even, I've just tweeted about his birthday today. And um, I, I think because Nelson Mandela represents so much more mm -hmm. that we don't see today. You know, he represents unification. And this is what everybody seems to be running away from at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's running away from unification. Everybody's just, you know, but he represented unification. Because he, he came out, you know, and became a president. And the first thing he did was to forgive mm -hmm. everyone everyone. So I see him as an inspiration. But did he inspire me? I don't know. The inspiration and being inspired is different, mm -hmm. you understand, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say that I'm inspired by the fact that I want to do good, I want to help people. I don't think so. Maybe in my younger years, the, 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 um, the inspiration was just to be a really good lawyer. But over the years, I have realized that my inspiration, I don't have an inspiration. It's, on, it's what happens on a daily basis that inspires me to motivate. Yeah. So if I wake up in the morning, for example, and I see a story, for example, about Khadija, the, the young kid. Mm -hmm. um, you wake up in the morning, you see a story like that, and you were motivated to get involved in somehow trying to, to help. And that's how I got involved with the Solidarity Fund, mm -hmm. you understand? And then you hear, you wake up and you hear about COVID-19. And then you're immediately motivated to donate and to send supplies to the hospitals, as we did. You know, and when the president announced free quality education, you get inspired by that. What can you do? And um, we used to give us, Mercury was famous for its scholarships, but we realized that the issue with scholarships was we were not seeing any lasting legacy. 
You understand? So when the free education was announced, we realized that we, this is a project or this is a, an idea that can give lasting legacy to what we do at Mercury. And that's why we agreed to build all the hospitals. I mean, sorry, all the classrooms, the schools. Mm -hmm. And that's what inspired, inspired the Putloco School, which we're now building. Mm -hmm. It's also um, what's inspired the fact that over the next three to four years, we're going to build so many other classrooms and schools. So the inspiration now really is waking up in the morning and hearing of something, hearing of news. I think um, as far as my business is concerned, as far as Mercury is concerned, the, the, the inspiration doesn't come from me anymore. It comes from them, the staff. It comes from the management, it comes from the staff. They all know they have a really good job. They all know they have a really good income and all the rest of it. So that inspires them. I don't need to inspire them anymore. I have done what I needed to do, even though I continue to do more. But the, the, the inspiration, you know, it, the, the inspiration for the success of Mercury now comes from the staff themselves. So in spirit, for me, as I've said, it's really just waking up in the morning and seeing what's happening and see whether I'm inspired by that or whether I just chose to ignore it. You know, there are certain things that happen. You can't, you can't get inspired to motivate by everything that you see and read. No. And inspired or motivated to do something can also be negative. Mm. You know, you wake up in the morning and you see somebody say something or whatever, and you're not inspired to do good. Instead, you're inspired to make a damning comment about them or write bad about them, you know, so... <laughs> so people get inspired in many ways. So it's, it's a question of just waking up and looking at what's happening and, and, um, and seeing, you know, does that inspire me to, to do some good or does that inspire me to do bad, to write something, not to write. So it's a daily sort of thing. Now I've got to that stage of my life and age now where I don't think I need, um, I don't, I, I have no, I don't, I know it's, it's, it's a bit weird to say I'm only, I mean, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of days. But um, I don't think I have any more goals. I don't think I have any more. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm not having any more goals. I, you know, I don't think I have any more. I think it's just now on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I do what I do on a daily basis, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, today I'm going to donate 20 million to this. Or I'm going to donate 10 million to this. Mm -hmm. You understand? Oh, I don't wake up in the morning and say, right, today I'm going to do good. I'm going to make sure people don't know. No, no. I wake up and whatever happens on that day, it could be anything. It could yes. be going to the office and a woman, or a woman standing there with one kid. Father has abandoned the, the, the family, and she's got a note, and she just needs two hundred thousand to school for school fees or for a bag of rice or whatever, you know. And you look at that, and that that's your motivation for the day, mm -hmm. you know. Or it could be, you know, somebody needs an operation. Um, and you hear about it through a friend and then you call them and say, okay, I'll give one million or two million. Oh, it's about somebody coming to you and with a really good business idea. And sometimes they come with really good business ideas and they need maybe a million or two. And you help them. Or somebody looking for a job mm -hmm. and you can find that. So this is, this is how, you know, for, for me now, it's just day by day yeah. and what happens. The only long-term goal that I have at the moment in terms of um, what we do at Mercury is, I mean other than expansion, obviously, but it's the classrooms to ensure that within the next two to three years, we have built all the classrooms that we promised we were going to do. Okay. You know, so that if anything does inspire me, separate from what I have said, it's that. Okay. You know, to ensure that all of these classrooms are built and ready 
for use by the government. You know, the, the government is desperately in need of classrooms yeah. and they need to get rid of this double shifts that they do. Absolutely. And um, so that, that's what motivates. That, that's another, that's a long-term motivation. But it was inspired by one act of an announcing that we want free, we want free education, education for everybody, you know, and stuff like that. I've never really thought of inspiration coming from action. So it's really interesting to get that that mm. perspective I've always just associated it with like even the way I asked the question I said who inspires you I've always associated it with people rather yeah. than action no as, as I've said the only person really that I've been in awe of ever I mean you know is, is Nelson Mandela mm. I mean I I, 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 I I have football players or tennis players or doctors or lawyers mm. that I look up to and I admire but in awe of you know yeah. it's only Mandela to be honest with you mm. that, that's, that's a fact um However, maybe subconsciously, that is what inspires me to, to do what, what you do. do. Yeah. But in reality, what happens, as I've said, is just it's motivated by its actions, really, yeah. rather than being inspired by anyone. Because I can never be a Mandela. Mm. I can never be a Gandhi, for example, even though now he's been accused of all sorts I was of things. Say. <laughs> you know, but in the, he fought for the freedom of his people, mm. you know. I don't have anybody to fight <laughs> freedom for, yeah. you know. Um, same with Mandela, he fought for the freedom of his people. I, I don't have anyone to fight for. I'm not a Fidel Castro or a Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. I know your dad likes Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yes. So, <laughs> and um, I'm not one of those. I, I can't be one of those. So why would I want to be... Why would I want... When you're inspired by somebody, it's because you want to follow their footsteps. Right. Why? I, I can't follow. I don't have the ability to follow their footsteps. Mm. I don't have the bravery to follow their footsteps. And you the understand? time's different. And the times are different. Mm. You understand? Um, so uh, that's why it's actions mm -hmm. or incidents that motivate me. So it's a question of a reaction. So my, my inspiration is really reaction to certain events that happen because I get motivated after the incident has happened and you try to fight to ensure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. You know, and people will say, oh, why don't you make sure it doesn't happen? Uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it's impossible. Let, let's face reality. Yeah. You understand? You can minimize things happening, but you can never say it's not going, you can stop anything from happening because you don't know when it's going to happen, you don't know how it's going to happen, you don't know where it's going to happen, you don't know who it's going to happen to, you understand? And even if you try generally, you cannot account for the actions of one individual or two people. So you react, you help, and then you help further to ensure that that kind of action, which is probably a negative action, is minimized, or if it's a good action, that it continues. Yeah, yeah so... I can, I mean, a lot of people do ask me that, who motivates you, or who inspires you, or who inspired you. It's, it's a very difficult one. I, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just too arrogant or too full of myself <laughs> to, to, to think that, to admit that anyone inspired me. You understand? It's, I, I, but I get what you say. I mean, I've, I remember when I used to teach at the law school, and um, my first question was always, why are you in this legal profession? And every student would say, I'm here because I want to fight for human rights. I'm inspired to fight for human rights. I'm inspired to, to, to save people from going to jail. I'm inspired. You know, it was all two goody two-shoes inspiration. And I looked at all of them and I said, I'm sorry, but you're all lying now. 
You're all absolute liars. There is only one reason why you're all in this profession. Make money. Money. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I said, if you, I, I would have been more impressed with you. I said, and that's the thing. That's what we're going to try to teach you at the law school. Say the truth. Don't lie. Mm. You can say, for example, I'm inspired to do all of this, but ultimately I need to make a living for myself and my family. Mm. But don't tell me that you. And a lot of those who said they were inspired to do all of these things. Well, they do I, now. Uh, <laughs> Some Where of them, yeah, well, exactly. I don't see any of them. Mm. I don't see any of them doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah. You understand? And I went through the same thing in England when I went to the bar to do my bar before I came here. And I and it was it was exactly the same question that was asked by the lecturer. And everybody in the class gave the answer like my students were giving here. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. And I said to the guy, "Look, <laughs> I'm doing this because I want to make money." And that's why I brought that same question. And the guy said to me, this is exactly the truth. You're doing it because of the money, yeah. first and foremost. Everything else is secondary. Mm-hmm. Yes, fight for this, fight for that. That's what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. But always remember that you're in a profession that you're going to be earning money. Mm-hmm. So you have to earn it fairly. You have to earn it evenly. You have to make sure you do not commit fraud and you do not crook. There is no sin in earning money, so long as you earn it fairly and squarely and you don't overcharge your clients. There's no sin in it. Otherwise, nobody would work. And you can do all the rest. You understand? So, you know, and um, so that that was an interesting thing about teaching at the law school. I I taught there for three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, lasting legacy. I just wanted to know if you could elaborate on that and what are your views on legacy in Sierra Leone? Well, I think a lot of the donations we tend to do in this country is cash. I think we need to move on from that now. You know, understand? I mean, we used to do scholarships in those days of hundreds and hundreds of millions. But how was it done? You know, they, they, they would gather all the, the scholarship recipients and then they would give each of their parents cash. How do we know that that cash was even used to yeah. pay for their school fees? Yes. So all these years, what was it that people spoke about? Mercury giving out cash as scholarship. But it doesn't last. Nobody even remembers it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. Everybody is looking for cash donation. We need to move away from that. We need to move to a situation where in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years time, even if the company doesn't exist anymore, people will go back to these schools and say, built by Mercury, built by Mercury, built by Mercury, built by Mercury. It's like the, the schools that have been built by these religious organizations, mm-hmm. whether it's Edwards, whether it's Albert Academy, whether it's Morialdo School, the legacy is always there. They will always say the Catholic priests build this school. That's true. You understand? It's it's so it's it's not a bad legacy. It's mm-hmm. a good legacy. Mm-hmm. You understand? I'm not talking here about statutes. I'm not talking about <laughs> leg about things that represent the colonial past mm-hmm. or whatever. You understand? But when you work in this country, I think it's important for every company to leave some form of legacy behind. And you can only do that through structures and infrastructure. You understand? And the most pressing thing at the moment is schools and hospitals. So I'm very much interested in people doing things that are going to lead, uh, you know, that positive legacy. Because it inspires future generations. You know, some of the, when you look at a lot, of, uh, a lot of people, they will always be proud of the fact that they went to CKC, you know, even if they're not Catholics. 
and they, they try to emulate what they saw the Catholic priests doing in terms of infrastructure, in terms of education. How many of them will live in Bosco? In a Catholic education, I get within Catholic Valadem. You know, they're proud of, the, some are very proud of, of, of what, and they try to do that now. Mm -hmm. So it's important for, therefore, that when we build these schools and so on, the people who go to those schools, and the school in Potloko is purely for girls. It's a girls' school, girls-only school. You hope that those girls and students from the other schools that we're going to build are going to look at this and say, wow, this was built not by the government, but by a company. When we grow up, we want to be inspired by this action. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be inspired by Martin Michael. We don't want to be inspired by the minister. We don't want to be inspired by this. We want to be inspired by this action to do the same. Mm -hmm. You understand? Sometimes when you're inspired by people, you're also inspired by the negative the things that they do. Mm -hmm. But in actions such as this, it's only positive. That's why I'm always inspired by action rather than by people. And you hope that when they grow up and they see all of these things, they're going to get inspired and do the same thing. And that can only be good for, for, for Sierra Leone. And that's the important thing of legacy. Absolutely. Agreed. So the final, final question. Okay. <laughs> so like Mandela, he was a lawyer and he was a uh, avid sports supporter. He liked rugby. You're a lawyer. You like soccer. Tell us what your dream team for Sierra Leone is, as we know you also support the soccer team here. Dream team as in the players? The players, the vision. Um, oh. You know, we could win a World Cup. We can push for that. You know, well. like, what do you see for us? <laughs> the uh, stars. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, obviously, football has been in a impasse for a couple of years now. Um, I think before we even start talking about a dream team or about inspiration or whatever, I think, like I said earlier, Mandela was a unifier. And I think what's needed in football right now is some form of unification amongst all of the parties. So that, that, that's the only thing that, it's only from then that we can start dreaming. Mm -hmm. But as it is at the moment, we, 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 um, without that form of unification, without all the parties coming together and fighting for the development of football, mm -hmm. it's going to be a very, very difficult time for us. Mm -hmm. It's going to be difficult, you know. Um, hopefully one day, I was, I mean, Obviously, before we even start thinking about the World Cup, we need to start thinking about African Cup qualifications first, and then we move on to the World Cup. <laughs> Dream team, I don't know. I mean, I love football. I, my team in Freetown is FC Calon, and of course, I have a very uh, special place for Bow Rangers as well. I used to be team manager for Bow Rangers many, many years ago. I even coached them for a few games many years ago when we sacked the coach but anyway that's a different story <laughs> that's for another podcast um, it was um, so um, but I don't really go to games here anymore okay. you know it's very difficult when you belong to Mercury International and then you support a team let me tell you a quick story about why I don't go to games anymore mm -hmm. so we had this league in Krube as you know my office is in Crouton Road mm -hmm. so I overlook Krube and they had this league in Crew Bay. It's incredible because they cleared out of nowhere. I don't know what they do. They just clear this patch of field out. Mm -hmm. Normally you don't see it and then it's cleared for a football gather. And the Mercury staff, without telling me, went and entered the team. <laughs> and they got to the finals. And it so happened that Umaru Fofana was doing a documentary at the time about um, sports betting and other things in Sierra Leone. So he told me that he was going to film at Crew Bay 
that day and that if he want that I would he wouldn't mind doing an interview with me. So I said okay. So I went to Krube, got to Krube and you had these hundreds and hundreds of people just started following me. Wow. And I started panicking, you know, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and it was like, you know, like Umar Rufov and I even made the comment that the movie star has arrived. And there was like hundreds of people following me. And then I did the interview and I was wondering why they were all following me. But I think they waited until I finished the interview. I finished the interview and I noticed that the minister of the deputy minister of sports at that time, this was during APC time, mm. was sitting there. And so they told me if I would go and what do the kickoff with him. So I said, okay. So I was walking, the same crowd started walking back with me. And then I'm thinking to myself, what do they want? <laughs> Are they Mercury supporters or they just like me or whatever? And then they started, hey, you, if you come for buy game, Naya, if you come for buy their refrigerator, Naya, I will go beat you, Naya. <laughs> So I thought to myself, oh my God, what have I got myself into? And I was laughing, you know, but they were serious. Hey. Mm. Then you had the Mercury supporters who were saying, partner for Biden game, I'm for Biden game. <laughs> and I'm saying, Jesus, what the hell? I don't, I don't even don't know who the referee is. What are you guys talking about? Mm. And these guys were coming, there was this particular guy, I'll never forget him. Beard and everything. And he was pointing his hand in my face. If you buy game now, you go, Sabi. Ah. That's to make everything political in this country. It was all about thinking that we were going to buy the game. game, So we went, we sat down, took the kickoff, and I could hear the crowd all shouting, no sell game, no sell game. (laughs) (laughs) And then I called my PRO, Komba, and I said, why did you bring me here? Why did you bring me here? This is why I don't come to the game. So I called the Mercury team, and I said, whatever you do, you do not score in the first half. I'm leaving after the first half only because I promised the organizers and the minister that um, that um, I'll be here for the first half. But mm. whatever you do, just defend. Do not score in the first half and do not allow them to score in the first half. Otherwise, there's going to be a riot here. Even if it's a fair goal, there's going to be a riot. So the whole of the first half, everybody wondered why the team just played a very defensive game. Before the ref blew the final whistle, I called my people and I just ran from that place <laughs> and, you know, and the funny thing is this was about maybe five six years ago up to today I don't know who won that game <laughs> I was just about to ask I, ne- I never even asked oh, wow. and because of that I don't go to games it's the same everybody knows I'm, I'm vice chairman of FC Calon everybody knows I support them everybody knows I'm a Bull Rangers man so I don't go to games because the minute you go it's a completely different scenario and that's one of the things about being manager of uh, being the um, CEO of Mercury. Now, we don't do any sports betting related to Sierra Leone football, uh, none at all. So it's not as if we can inspire the results. Mm-hmm. We don't bet on Sierra Leone games, Leone Star games, or none of the normal football games. Mm-hmm. But they think because you're Mercury, or well, everybody thinks that we have millions to waste to spend to this, we're going to buy the referee. And that, that's one of the drawbacks that I actually do face. Okay. And that's why I find it very difficult to go to games. I don't even go to Leon Star games anymore. Okay. I actually haven't been to a football match in this country for the last five years, five or six years. I, if Sierra Leone are on TV, sometimes DSTV puts them, I'll watch it at home. Otherwise, I just watch English football. Okay. Mm, that's all. But that, that's, that's the, one of the drawbacks. You know? But it was hilarious. And as I was leaving, they were following me as well. <laughs> and you know, I, we, we have SSDs in our office because of the um, 
because we were dealing in cash in those days. We don't deal in cash anymore, mm-hmm. as I've said. And um, they, they had to go call the SSDs to come and sort of help me out of that place. Mm. It was frightening. I was laughing. I had to laugh and put on a brave face, but it was frightening. These guys were coming up to me, you know, these crew boy, crew bay uh, boys. We'll go beat you like we'll go. And then the funny thing is, you go to work on a Monday morning, the same boys are on the other side of the road, you understand? And they're screaming, the paddle cap, the paddle cap. Ah, you know, give me number. You know, number as in the tone number for them to win. You know, give me number. Paddle cap. And then on a Friday, they would send a note and then you would say, okay, it's the weekend. And you would send for them some money for the weekend. And these same guys were threatening to beat me down as I prove it if I bought the match, you know? And this is what I love about this place. You know, it's, this is what I love. They get so passionate about their sports. But outside of it, it's just it's just people trying to survive, really. Yeah. And that's what I like about it, you know. And um, you come and, um, and sometimes I come there in the morning and they all rush and open the door and they're nice and they're friendly. And they're not really demanding. They're not asking for anything. They're not rude. They're not obnoxious. They're not, surviving. They're just trying to survive, you know. And, and, and that's it. The funniest one, though, is every time they ask me, let me give them a number. As if, I know, as if I know what's going to come I mean if I, if I knew, if you knew what was going to come out I'd play by myself with that even though I'm not allowed to but yeah so that's the funny part I know I know some um, some people on Twitter love that comment that I made yes yeah, but that, that's how it is you know it's, that's what it is and um, but yeah so football is a passion in this country it's the greatest unifier this country has Shaka Stevens used to tell Jamil Said Mohamed says there are three things for any successful president in this country to survive three things only and Jamil because Jamil side in when I was working for Terence Terry Jamil side came back okay. to this country so once I had to go see him because he was Terence was his lawyer so Terence sent me to go and see him and um, he invited I went they were having lunch he told me to sit down we had lunch and then I you know and during the conversation, I can't remember what I asked. And then he said, Martin, he said, Shaka Stevens used to tell me, there are three things a president has to do in Sierra Leone to be successful. One, ensure that there's never a shortage of rice. Two, never a shortage of beer. And three, make sure the football league is playing. So you have those three things. You're a successful president. I mean, obviously, it's very sort of sophomoric mm. way of looking at things. Mm. But think about it. Think about how much these three things mean to us in this country. Think about it. You know, think about it. You, you look at the football when Calon and Lions are playing, or Blackpool and Lions, or some of these teams. You can't even get into the stadium. Mm. When Calon plays against Lions, mm. the, the, the stadium is 40,000 packed, and then there's another 40,000 outside waiting to enter. You know, and then you look at other things. So, I mean, as much as it's a very sort of um, easy way of looking at things, but the, the idea is not, I mean, I don't actually believe that's what makes a successful president. But I think it tells us something about what we are. We don't really want complicated things. So we just, we just everybody here just wants to, to ensure that the environment is correct so people can survive. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the way it is, you know. But it just shows, you know, how important football is to this nation. It really is, it really is very, very important. Very important. 
and you know, I mean, when, when for example, the um, leagues were suspended in Europe, we didn't sell us, we, we were really struggling to sell any of our products. And it just shows the passion, you know, it shows the passion. It's incredible, you know. The, the, and one of the things, you talk about technology, let me just finish off on that. Yeah. One of the things Mercury has done is to actually increase internet traffic in this country to websites. Because people are always trying to catch up on the, trying to beat us by checking up on injuries, by checking up on team selections. Most people do not bet until the last minute because they want to check if the team has any injuries and what the team selection is. Teams are selected one hour before the game plays. Our system closes five minutes before the game plays. So they use that 55 minutes to analyze. Mm -hmm. They go on the internet, they check injuries, they check team selections and weather conditions before they go do their bets. Oh. And internet, and the biggest traffic in Sierra Leone goes to all the sports websites and to our Mercury International website. Mm. It is. It is very, very incredible. Mm. It's incredible. I, 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 when I was giving those statistics, I just could not believe it. Wow. I couldn't believe it. You know, and um, it was interesting once because when the president made that speech about the increase of internet connectivity and mobile usage in the country, mm. people did ask how, how much did Mercury contribute to that kind of an increase. Mm. And the stats show that we did. Okay. We did with more and more people buying smartphones because to access all our products, you have to have a smartphone. Right. So it's interesting. So this, this is how local businesses can also help improve other businesses as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, that sort of domino, that roll-on effect mm -hmm. from one to the other. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Very, I bet you didn't realize very, that. I, that. Very interesting. <laughs> I bet you didn't realize no, that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. No. So we learned at, at, one, at one time, at one time, I was told, again, this was not recent, mm. but I was told at one time that they, they, they asked during a... They asked during a security meeting what had caused the um, reduction in a lot of petty crimes, a lot of crimes. Mm -hmm. And the police said they believe it was because people were concentrating so much on trying to sort out their mercury bets. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have time. Most, most they didn't most have time, likely. you know. But of course, these, these are all things that we hear. Right. But of course, there are other issues as well. You know, we often get accused of kids playing our products, mm. which were totally obviously opposed to. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I mean, I won't sit here again. I'm not the kind of person that denies. I won't sit here and say it doesn't happen. The thing is, we've been out so many times at, um, talking to our retailers, advising parents and so on, and asking the public to make reports, but they never do. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest problem we have. Okay. When you have 1,500 retailers, you can't have 1,500 staff looking after 1,500 retailers. We try as best as we can and we send teams out there and the retailers themselves are supposed to police themselves. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, people out in the streets are also supposed to police this. But they never report. The only time we got a report was once from a radio station. They publicly announced who the retailer was. We sacked the retailer mm -hmm. immediately and announced we had sacked the retailer. The radio station came back and begged for the retailer. So after you disgraced him, yeah. you've taken legal act. Well, you know they they just weren't expecting any repercussions or no. accountability. But we take that very seriously, mm -hmm. very seriously. Mm -hmm. 
Ferry. We don't know. We do. That, that's something. If you go across like their um their office on Crewtown Road, you'll see the big sign that says yeah. Yeah, eighteen and under. No. We have videos that are running on um. um we have videos which were uh, um. The voiceover was from Phoebe and Swill, mm-hmm. which are running constantly on television. Oh, okay, great. About great. that as well. Not only about under eighteen gambling, but also about responsible gambling mm-hmm. for adults as well. That's great. And we have a list. In fact, that reminds me. I need to call the PRO after this podcast to ensure <laughs> that it's still running. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it gives advice as to mm-hmm. to what if you have become a problem gambler, mm-hmm. and it tells you the signs you should look for, and that when you see those signs, you should stop immediately. And should not continue, you know, um, such as uh, betting before paying your salaries, or betting before buying provisions for your house, mm. before buying electricity, paying your taxes, yeah, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, so yeah, so the you know, so it is an issue, and but we we we've got everything out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to the technology, it's an interesting fact. <laughs> yeah, interesting. it is. That's true. It is. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for your time, Ryan. It's been good. It's been a really good interview. Have you got anything that you'd like to plug at the end of all interviews? Yeah, I always encourage our guests like um, plug either their website or their social media handle, just so people can follow up the conversation with you privately. Well, okay. So my uh, obviously, I um, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, so I really won't plug the Mercury products because we might have children listening to it, even though we've spoken about it. But I think we've spoken about it in an ethical way. All I would say is that um, you know follow the projects that we're doing, such as the schools and other things, and let me have as much feedback as I can on those projects where you want to see improvements, changes, recommendations, and so on. Um, my Twitter handle is at, at memlaw1. That is Martin E. Michael Lawyer One, <laughs> Memlaw One. So you can follow me on there. And please, 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 don't take my tweet seriously. It's satirical. I don't have any hidden agenda, none whatsoever. You understand? I tweet for fun. I tweet, you know, just for for because it's something that I do. Most of it is a joke. Most of it is satirical. Most of it is banter. You understand? And um, so, please don't. If you're going, <laughs> if you're going to snapshot it, snapshot it for fun. But don't go and tell me about hidden agenda, please. You've been warned, guys. You've been warned. You know, come on. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at YSquarePod. All right, bye. Bye. This episode is sponsored by Mercury International. Mercury International is a company based here in Freetown, Sierra Leone, but its presence is felt both nationally and internationally. You may know Mercury as the lotto company, but they are far more than that. Mercury International offers services such as sports betting, and they have a radio station. Additionally, they have embarked on philanthropic projects. Recently, they raised and donated 300 million leones, which is $30,000, to the Survivors Solidarity Fund, co-chaired by the journalist Aisha Sisse actor Idris Elba and media personality here in Freetown, Asma James. These funds are being used to fund treatment centers and organizations that work in sexual and gender-based violence to provide pro bono services to sexual assault victims and survivors here in Sierra Leone. For more information on the work Mercury International does, you can contact them at plus 232 5990 or email them at info at mercury.com or visit their website at betamercury.com
West Square Bowl, Nagalish the West Square Bowl. West Square Bowl, West Square Bowl, Nagalish the West Square Bowl.